continue our study, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Let's see a show of hands. How many guys follow the news pretty closely? Raise your hands. <laughs> How many of you, not so closely, just once in a while, raise your hands. How many of you never look at the news? Oh, you're the happy ones. You're the, <laughs> you're the blessed. You're the blessed. Yeah, um, it's an interesting debate I have in my own brain from time to time. I think, you know what, I'm done. I'm just sick of watching all this stuff. And, you know, it just gets crazier and crazier. And, and you know, you can almost feel your blood pressure rise when you see things that are um, wrong with the world and stuff like that. But it is interesting, more and more, I find myself, maybe it's just me getting older and a little less um, intense, uh, but I do find myself, my heart almost lifts up as I see, you know, crazy stuff going on in the world. Uh, I have to say, you know, it makes me realize, wow, Lord, you just really knew before anything ever happened, you, you know the beginning from the end. You know the future. By the way, there's a whole religious theology out there in churches. Um, it's called open theism. Have you guys ever heard of open theism? Uh, it's been furthered by a, a pastor named Greg Boyd, who I disagree with a lot of his teachings. I wouldn't recommend him at all. Um, but there's a lot of people that really esteem him. But he believes in this open the, uh, theism kind of thing where God doesn't really know the future. Uh, you know, the, your, your future is in your hands. Uh, can you imagine what the eschatology is of a person that believes that? Um, and you could probably guess from our previous studies, there's whole groups that think things are getting better and better and, and the kingdom's gonna come if we usher in the kingdom and all this stuff. Well, that's where that group, they, they kind of go that way, thinking, well, God doesn't know how it's gonna turn out, so he's just waiting for us humans to fix things in this world so that he can come back. Does that sound like the God of the Bible? Uh, not even close. Uh, read your Bible. Just read it, generally speaking, kindergarten level reading. You kind of think, oh, okay, well, uh, you know, you, if you pretty much understand that God is saying, here's what's going to happen in total detail, and then to, to sort of be the icing on the cake, and all those things are happening, shouldn't that make us kind of go, well, maybe the Lord knows what he's talking about. I can't imagine somebody having that worldview, especially as we're watching the news and what's going on in the world today. And, you know, um, when Jesus gives the beginning discussion, he says, you know, these things, the things that are going to be the precursors to the end, he starts off wars and rumors of wars, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, ethnicity against ethnicity is the, the word there, um, which is, you know, kind of a form of racism that Jesus mentioned. Um, talked about pestilence, which can also be uh, interpreted as, uh, you know, disease and things like that. Uh, earthquakes in diverse places, um, you know, all these things. He said, these are the, the birth pangs. Odin is the Hebrew, or pardon me, the Greek word used there. Odin meaning uh, as a woman travails with child, uh, intensity and frequency of labor pains. That's the way it's gonna be, Jesus said. So when I see what's going on around the world, um, your heart breaks for people that are hurting and it makes me pray for them and wanna see how we can help them practically and think about that, pray about that. But it also makes my heart leap knowing that, Lord, you, you know what's going on. You're not wringing your hands, pacing back and forth in heaven, wondering what am I gonna do with these people and the situation in Ohio and what am I gonna do? You know, Lord's not doing that. He's seated upon his throne. And he's, his plan and purpose is unfolding. Um, you know, things, uh, if you think they're getting better and better, you're probably not watching the news. Um, just even, you know, today and in the last few days, uh, there's all kinds of things that should be 
kind of concerning in the world. And, and um, you know, Jesus says, watch, see about these times and the end times and the way these things are gonna be. And uh, I've, I've been kind of keeping an eye on those things. And I, I did a little truck talk today on Instagram just because I wanted to do like a little mini uh, prophecy update because there's a lot of stuff to talk about, but I only talked about one main thing. Um, but, um, you know, some of the signs of the times Jesus talks about, you know, uh, today, Jerusalem Post um, in, uh, uh, did an um, interesting um, argument about the enrichment of uranium um, uh, in Iran has reached a new level, um, breaking the rules, uh, you know, 84% enrichment, uh, which they need to re reach like 90% to have weapon grade uh, plutonium. But the Jews know about this stuff and they're concerned about uh, the Iranians bombing Israel. Well, why would the Iranians bomb Israel? Because for the last 40 years, they've been saying, we wanna blow Israel off the map. That's what we want to do. And so they were feverishly trying to get the nuclear weaponry to do that because they say that openly all the time. Um, that's why Israel is determined to stop Iran, no matter what the rest of the world does. Meanwhile, we have our own troubles. Um, maybe you saw this um, in a CBS article, China considering providing lethal support to aid Russian invasion of Ukraine, Blinken says. Anthony Blinken, of course, um, being on the, you know, uh, such a brilliant thinker. And uh, I mean, if you know Anthony Blinken, it's like, I can't even believe, uh, you know, he is in the job that he actually has. Um, does he really know what's going on in the world? It seems to me like he doesn't, but, but it is interesting that, uh, that even he is admitting that China's starting to seem to side with, with uh, Russia and Putin. Um, which should cause concern. I mean, those are two big world powers uh, wanting to put their heads together. And, um, and if you think, well, that's just against the Ukrainians. Uh, you know, if you think that, well, whether you are pro-Ukrainian war or not, whatever your posture is on that, it is a proxy war. I mean, we, we are sending, we just gave another, you know, um, uh, bunches of money. We've, what, $114 billion worth of weaponry we've given um, and then at the same time, news today, uh, we're finding out that a lot of our military is on food stamps uh, of our own personnel, military personnel, while we're sending billions and billions and billions. It's not that we don't care about the Ukrainians, of course we do, and, and it's heartbreaking to see what's happening in Ukraine. I see all kinds of corruption and uh, stuff going on on all sides of the fence, but particularly on our own side. Um, but the idea of the Russians and the, the Chinese getting together, uh, that, that's, um, that's the, the thing that's causing people concern for this idea of World War III, um, and Russia, uh, they just announced that they're no longer gonna abide by all their nuclear treaties that they just had. They announced that uh, yesterday, I believe it was. Um, and, um, and that's a problem. Uh, you know, so basically, this administration we have right now is just kind of blowing off huge things that have been sort of, uh, sort of the safety stops to keep us from nuclear war. Those, those are being passed every day. Things that are like, yeah, whatever, forget the nuclear treaties. Yeah, whatever, so Russia can blow the world up and so can we, whatever. It's like people don't really care that they're threatening to use nuclear weapons, uh, which should be a bit of a cause of, of um, concern and definitely prayer. Um, but uh, Al Jazeera, uh, interesting, uh, they, they mentioned earthquake death toll surpasses 46,000 in uh, Syria and Turkey. If you've been following that horrific earthquake there, uh, and they just had another one, uh, six point something on the Richter scale yesterday, uh, which caused more damage. Uh, it's just in um, earthquakes in diverse places. Uh, it's just seemingly more and more troublesome. 
Um, you know, this, this was an interesting uh, op-ed article that uh, basically um, talks about the world's superpowers threw their cards on the table this week, and every one of them came up in favor of World War III. And that, that really is the, the kind of the true analysis. All these world powers um, are looking at um, World War III as sort of an option. Um, you know, these world leaders, former world leaders, they're saying things that you just kind of go, what are they thinking? Like when UK's Tony Blair says, the West is counting on China to hold back Russia. Um, We're seeing China join with Russia and send weapons to Russia. They're not holding back Russia. Um, So you say, Brett, that's bad news. Well, if it's not worse, this is a bit of news you should know. Oscar Mayer Wienermobile falls victim to catalytic converter theft during Las Vegas shop. Um, uh, Well, I just put that in there because you guys all look too serious and I needed to uh, put a little levity in the uh, world news. So see, it's not all bad news, uh, except for the Wienermobile lost its converter. Um, I'm sorry. Anyway, Matthew 25. Um, You know, these are things that we all know, okay, so the world's gonna get more and more difficult. Perilous times, Paul told Timothy, will uh, rise up in the last days. And, And so what do we do? Well, that's what Matthew 24 and 25 reminds us. What do we do in light of that? What should we do? Freak out, build bunkers and get guns and do all that stuff? Um, You can do what you want, but the Bible doesn't tell us to do that. The Bible tells us um, mostly to be ready, to be watching, to be sober, vigilant, um, to be diligent. These are the the themes we've covered in previous studies, uh, whether in Matthew 24 and 25 or in 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter sort of does a little bit of a commentary on Jesus's words. Uh, But it's all about watching, being sober, being vigilant, um, because the Lord's coming is near and we're supposed to be the faithful servant. And so now in this chapter, we see sort of a shifting of gears where Jesus, he tells kind of the details of the the end times as it leads up to that, the tribulation period, the Jews fleeing from Antichrist after the abomination of desolation, the second coming of Jesus. Jesus spelled all that out in really careful detail in the first part of Matthew 24. Now, the next section is where Jesus illustrates Um, with some parables and some illustrations about what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to act in light of that news and what's going on around the world. So I like that. What are we supposed to do? Now, some people argue that Jesus gives us here uh, three parables in chapter 25, and you could say that if you want to, but I might say he's actually given us four illustrations. A couple of them are parables, but I, I like to think of these as illustrations, whether by parable or just by illustration. What do you mean, Brett? Well, I'm gonna call this, if you'd allow me, the four illustrations Jesus gives Uh, for us about how we're supposed to act. And I'm gonna say the first one actually started in chapter 24. We ended last Wednesday night with illustration number one. I'm gonna call this the faithful servant and the evil servant illustration. And that's verses 44 through 51. We saw that. The last week we ended on Wednesday night, the faithful servant is found busy uh, doing the work. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's made, the Lord has made him ruler over his household. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, blessed is that servant, Jesus said, verse 46. When, he, um, when his Lord comes, he finds him doing the work that he's called to do. Um, and then the Lord says uh, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. So um, if you remember our, our parable on Sunday, which we're gonna kind of t- uh, tap into again tonight, 
Remember the one that was the faithful steward of the, of the talents? What did the Lord give him after he found him faithful? More responsibility. So the same thing is true in this first illustration, the, the faithful steward or the faithful servant, I should say, in chapter 24 here, is gonna be made ruler over all his goods. And then he goes into the evil servant that's going around saying, ah, the Lord delays his coming. Um, And so he gets drunk and he drinks with the drunken and he starts punching everybody in the face and he's just living a life of sin and not worried about it at all or thinking about the second coming of the Lord. The wicked servant is gonna be thrown into a place where there's uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth where the hypocrites are. So this is the first illustration of four that Jesus gives. The illustration of the faithful servant and the evil servant. That's in chapter 24, verses 44 through 51. The second illustration is in the form of a parable. And we begin in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the 10 virgins. Matthew 25, verses one through 13 tells us about that. And so the parable of the 10 virgins, um, uh, what what are we supposed to see here? Well, let's read and then we'll kind of break it down. Uh, Matthew 25, verse one. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto 10 virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and, uh, and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out uh, to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Hmm, the parable of the 10 virgins. Um, what does this mean? What, what is this parable all about? Now remember a parable, we talked about this on Sunday. A parable is, is a story of something that's known that helps us understand something that's not known or uh, sort of hidden. The problem with this parable is we don't really do the whole 10 virgin thing with oil and lamps and the bridegroom coming at a weird time of the night. That doesn't mean much to us because we don't really do it that way. Our marriage uh, traditions don't really include that. You know, our, our, um, our traditions are a guy, you know, engages uh, on a one knee and gives the whole ring and then everybody knows they're getting married and then they get an invitation. Everybody knows the day and the hour uh, when the wedding's gonna be. And, uh, and so everybody shows up at the right time, at least hopefully, uh, with presents in hand, ready to roll because they know the day or the hour. Well, in the Jewish wedding, this would have been known, you never really knew when the wedding was gonna be in a Jewish culture in the first century. Um, and I'll explain that in a second. Um, and this would have been something they all would have said, oh yeah, yeah, we know what you're talking about. Uh, Cause it was very, very normal for them to say, well, those dumb virgins should have been ready. Uh, that's ridiculous. They should have been ready because you don't know when the bridegroom is coming. So this would have been normal to them. 
uh, but we don't really get it because we don't do it. But just if we're taking a quick ultimate goal of this parable, the, the parable is what it states at the end, watch and be ready. This is the theme of Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse, watch and be ready. That's, that's at least what we can take away without even knowing um, what this is all about. Now there's debate on what this parable means. And I'll just give you a few of the things. Some people say, um, you know, this parable is talking about how you should share your oil with people that don't have it. That's not a great interpretation of it. You'll hear sermons about that. Um, uh, you know, by the way, in the Bible, what is oil a type of? Anybody? Holy Spirit. It's always a picture of the Holy Spirit, oil. Um, uh, so, so I've heard sermons on this. Don't be sleeping when Christ comes. Uh, that's not what, what's happening because people need to sleep. Um, but it's what happens when you wake up in the middle of the night when the, when the sound comes, because what happens uh, is you never know, even if it's the night when the, when the bridegroom's gonna come, it, you need to wake up. But when you wake up, the idea is to be ready. Uh, so I'm not sure that's what it means, don't, don't sleep. Um, or don't sleep when the rapture happens. I've heard people talk about that. Um, but there is a difference between the rapture and the second coming. Uh, let me remind you real quick of, you know, we went over all the various views a few Sundays back, but we landed where, where Athey Creek believes. We, we made it clear. Uh, and I'll remind you kind of our timeline of the way we see it. And hopefully this is not too much, but this is hopefully a reminder for those of you who are with us. You know, when we talked about premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism, preterism, all the uh, amillennialism, we talked about all those different views. But ultimately, we believe that this is kind of the order of events. Um, you know, you have Jesus who died on the cross and from the cross through the, to the present day, we're living in the church age. But the next thing on the list uh, that's, that's really the big thing that we're watching and waiting for as Christian church age is the rapture of the church. Once that happens, it kicks in the seven year period called the tribulation. Um, in the middle of that's the abomination of desolation we read about in Matthew 24. Uh, and then the last three and a half years is called the great tribulation. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 24. And then also in Matthew 24, Jesus said, then after that seven years, my second coming. Um, and then after the second coming, Christ is sitting in the throne in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning for a thousand years called the millennial kingdom. We believe in a literal 1000 year millennial kingdom. And then at the end of that millennial kingdom is the last judgment or the great white throne judgment. Um, we'll talk about that further perhaps tonight, later down on the road. And then after that judgment, you go to heaven or hell. Uh, one thing that's not depicted here is for those who go to heaven, eventually the Lord's gonna create a new heaven and a new earth. And that's where we all live happily ever after. So this is kind of the sign. The parable of the virgins, uh, you know, you kind of have to ask, um, where, where is this and what, what should th this be talking about? Well, if you remember Matthew 24, one of the things we kind of pointed out is that really Jesus is seemingly mostly talking to the Jews. That's kind of an important thing to remember. Could the Olivet Discourse largely be really reminding the Jews? Now, some of you might say, well, Brett, I, I think we should be watching and ready too. Maybe it's not just to the Jews, it's to us too. Oh, I think we can glean from Matthew 24 and 25 for sure. And one of the reasons I can say that is there's other passages that talk to we, the Gentiles, that we're also supposed to watch and be waiting. If you read 1 Thessalonians chapter four and five, um, that's talking about us watching and ready and comforting each other uh, about the rapture of the church. Uh, so it's the same thing. But, but in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is uh, introducing some things, particularly to the Jewish people, I think. That's one of the things that's uh, helpful when we realize this. So, so um, 
if we're talking about just the Jews particularly in, in this parable, then we might deduce that it is uh, during um, that time called the tribulation period up to when the bridegroom is gonna come uh, in a surprise. You don't know the day or the hour. If you're a Jew, we're not talking about the rapture of the church as much. We're talking about the second coming of Christ. So it's possible that um, Matthew uh, is talking to the Jewish people. By the way, don't forget, um, the book of Matthew, the whole book, the, the gospel of Matthew is given and written for the Jewish people. Um, that each one of the four gospels has a little bit of an audience target. We'll get into that further. We talked about this at the beginning when we were studying Matthew at the beginning, but Matthew is pointed to the Jews. Mark is to the Gentile Roman church mostly. And you'll, you, we'll see that when we get into Mark's gospel, why he, he almost doesn't talk as much about the Jewish part of it as much as the uh, Gentile part of it. He focuses on that. Um, along with Luke. Some people say Luke was written mostly for the Greeks, uh, the Gentiles of the church. And then John, the Gospel of John, the audience there is the New Testament church, uh, Jew, Gentile, anybody who believes in Jesus Christ as the Messiah um, and uh, is saved, the Gospel of John. That's why I think John often is the favorite of many be, uh, that are alive today because it really does speak to us uh, in, in such a personal and radical way. Um, but I also have to say, because Matthew's directed at the Jews, there's a lot of things that I think we as Gentiles miss in the gospel of Matthew because we just don't understand Jewish culture and some of the things that were uh, normal to them, like the Jewish wedding in this case. So, so this idea of the parable of the 10 virgins, um, you know, who are, who are these virgins? Um, um, and and what, what do we see here? There's some several things going on here. We see, um, first of all, the bridegroom in the story. Um, we know that that's Jesus in his return. That's easy. That's the easy part of this. Um, who are the 10 virgins? Some people say the Jews, um, others say it's the church. Um, and, and again, uh, if you really wanna say it's the church, you can say, well, then it means kind of the same thing. We're supposed to have our lamps trimmed and burning with oil, whatever that means. We'll talk about that in a second. You don't wanna be the foolish uh, virgins, but you wanna be the wise virgins. So if it's the church, there's marching orders, which I think you could apply to our lives as the Christian church. But largely, I think this is really written to the Jewish people. Um, when you hear uh, people debate on these things, um, <clears throat> I, I, one of the things I always like to do is say the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Um, and so what do we have to do? Use the rest of the Bible. I like when both ideas can be true. I, I, I'm a big fan of that. Sometimes we land there. Um, but, um, but here's the question. The Jews that are gonna be alive during the tribulation period, do you think that that's one of the things the Lord wants is them to be watching and waiting for the second coming of Christ? Well, the answer is yes. After the abomination of desolation, what do the Jews do? They're fleeing to the wilderness. Remember, we talked about this from Matthew 24, and they're, they're freaked out because Antichrist is gonna make horrible war against the Jews. He'll wanna slay them all. When you read Daniel's account of this, it's horrific. The Antichrist is gonna do horrible things to make war against God's people, the Jews, during the tribulation, and it's gonna get even worse during the great tribulation, like Jesus said in Matthew 24. So I believe that this is in reference to those Jews living during those perilous times of the tribulation period, 
Um, and I think the Jews, this is speaking about the Jews in the tribulation period that should be ready for the second coming of Christ. Now, again, uh, I wouldn't really necessarily die on this battlefield. There's, there's battlefields to die on. This is not one of them. But I would say I, would, I take that position that, that we're talking mostly to Jews here. Um, um, and I'll, I'll kind of show you why I believe that in a second. First of all, um, in this story, uh, where is the bride? Is the bride in this story? Isn't it funny we're talking about a wedding and uh, nobody's saying yes to the dress here. Um, no, we don't have, normally in a, in a wedding thing, you'd think, okay, we're gonna talk about the bride because that's kind of the big deal. Everybody's all, it's all about the bride. But I find it curious that the bride is not in this parable. Why? Well, is, are the Jews the bride of Christ? No, who, who is the bride of Christ? We are the church, the Gentile church is the bride of Christ and, and also Jews who have accepted Jesus as their, the Messiah. A very small group of Jews have done that, but um, we're called the bride of Christ. And by the way, that hasn't even been introduced yet in the scriptures. That comes later on in Paul's writings and other passages. You know, Ephesians 5, 25 talks about how Jesus loves his bride, the church, and then talks about how he washes it and cleanses it and presents it, his bride pure and holy before the Lord. Uh, it's, it's, it's this beautiful illustration that we're the, the church is the bride of Christ. So I find it interesting in a parable about a wedding, um, there's no bride involved but there are these 10 virgins that are not part of the bride. Well, what do they have to do with the wedding though? Again, the Jewish wedding um, is, is part of the deal here. Um, so, so you might even say, what is this about? Well, let's talk about the Jewish wedding. Just a reminder, quick refresher course. I'm not gonna go into, I've done whole sermons on the Jewish wedding. You can look that up if you want on our teachings on our website. Um, but a Jewish wedding, you know, um, you know, it starts with sort of a, um, a, an engagement uh, period, but their engagement was like, not like ours. Um, but um, do you remember, you know, when Joseph and Mary, he, they were, you know, he was espoused uh, to be married. There's a difference between espousal and, and engagement in Bible times. But once you were espoused to be married, it, it, some people said you're technically married actually. Like they almost viewed that as good as marriage, but they had not yet consummated the marriage. Too much information, Brett. Tough, that's just the Jewish wedding. That's the way they handled it. Uh, you know, they just, they, they didn't have intimacy and they weren't really technically living together. They weren't having children. They weren't really acting as husband and wife, but his spousal was considered marriage. Remember when Joseph was espoused to Mary and when he heard the news that she was pregnant, he thought to put her away with the bill of divorcement. But Brett, they're only espoused. Yeah, that's how thick a, an espousal agreement was. It was as good as law. Um, you'd, you'd have to divorce someone if you were choosing to um, divorce, uh, to get break up, you'd have to get a bill of divorce, even if you'd not consummated the marriage. Isn't that something? That was the law of the land. So it's very serious, but, but here's what would happen. Um, you know, they, the, the uh, bridegroom would pay the, the father, uh, you know, two camels or whatever uh, for the wife. Um, when we go to Israel, there's all these guys standing around as our groups walk through and I'll give you five camels for your wife, you know, and they'll say stuff like that to you. Uh, the Arab guys on the street. Uh, and um, it, it always it cracks me up uh, when the ladies are like, what is he saying? And then they realize and then, but he just said five camels, but that guy said 10 camels. They start bartering like it's gonna happen or something. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, that's, that's bad. We don't wanna do that. 
But in those days, they, they would do that. And then what would happen is the, 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 it would be the bridegroom would go, and I'm gonna use some Bible language to do fast uh, links here. The, the bridegroom would go and prepare a place for his bride. Does that ring a bell? Jesus said, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. Um, so this is, this is what Jesus has done, just like the bridegroom goes. And, and in, in that culture, even to this day, they build house upon house. So the Jewish wedding, the, the bridegroom would go home and start working on his house for his bride, bride. And it would be one person and one person only that would say, the time is now, you can go and get your wife and bring her home. Who would be that? That would be the father of the, of the bridegroom. Only the father knew the day or the hour of when the bridegroom could come for his bride. Does that ring a bell? Um, I, there's thousands of connections of a Jewish wedding I could make here, but, um, but all that to say, um, you know, once the bridegroom got the, the house all done, the father on a whim could say, now. They would blow the shofar, and they'd make a big shout, and all the, the, the young men would start heralding in the road, walking down the streets of the town. It's time, the wedding is at hand. And that's when the, 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 the bride and the virgins, the, the bridesmaids, if you would, they would have to say, it's time. And they had, they had to be ready uh, on the fly. Um, not like, you know, some of you girls, you know, have months to prepare for your wedding. The idea, interestingly, of a Jewish wedding is you kind of had to stay ready sort of all the time, like ready on a, on a minute's notice to say, okay, I, I look good enough, I'm ready to roll. Uh, you might have a few seconds to put on a, a little uh, lipstick or something, but that's it. You're good luck uh, looking nice for your husband. Like that, that was kind of the thing, which is an interesting implication. Both the bride and the bridesmaids had to be sort of ready and that's what the Lord wants for his church. But that's also what he wants for the Jewish people. They, they should be ready when the Lord comes. And only the, the Father in heaven knows the day or the hour. So the shofar would blow. Isn't that interesting? The trumpet sounds. We see this in the rapture of the church, the sounding of the trumpet, uh, you know, and, and then the, the bridegroom. As the bridegroom marches down the street with his buddies and they go and, and, and meet the bride and her virgins uh, and they, they bring over to the, um, the house where the marriage feast begins. And how long does the marriage feast last? Seven days. Um, and, and it's such an amazing, amazing uh, correlation to the whole thing. So um, all that to say, they'd come and announce it. The announcement, we're ready. The time would come, the meeting of the bridegroom, seven-day celebration. Um, but the church, as the bride of Christ, um, that's, that concept hasn't been announced yet. But does anybody know what relationship, if we're called the bride of Christ, in the Old Testament, the Jews do have a relationship, but what is it? Does anybody remember what the Jews are called in the Old Testament? The wife of God, that's a different thing. The wife of God versus the, uh, the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ um, and the, the Jews are called the wife of God. And that's why, you know, the an illustration in the Old Testament when the prophet said, you know, you've become like a, an adulterous woman. Uh, the story of Hosea is a horribly sad, but kind of a beautiful picture of the redeeming love of God um, that uh, redeemed the prostitute wife. Uh, that's the picture of Israel. Um, and the Lord's still gonna come for her, just like he's gonna come for the bride of Christ, uh, the rapture of the church. So um, you can make this about the church if you want to, and I wouldn't argue with you too much. But I believe we're mostly talking about the, the Jews. Um, now, the 10 virgins, five are foolish and five are wise. The foolish ones had no oil. This is a good hint for you and for me. Um, because we already discerned that oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. 
Um, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit, are you saved? Um, now this starts to remind us of a question, you know, of some things that, uh, that we always talk about, um, which is kind of important and stuff like that. But, um, you know, let's, let's review a few things about the Holy Spirit. Like for example, in Romans chapter eight, verse nine, we read this, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man hath not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Um, so question, if you're a Christian, do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, it's very clear right here in this verse. You might jot this down in your notes. Now, don't be confused because don't forget the, the various uh, relationships we have with the Holy Spirit, uh, or I should say, um, with, in, and upon. Do you remember those three relationships? Before you were saved, the Holy Spirit was with you, tapping you on the shoulder. Genesis 6-3, the Spirit will not always strive with man. John 14, 17, remember um, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells with you, but he shall be in you. And then in John chapter 20, Jesus breathed on the disciples and he breathed the Holy Spirit upon them. I believe that's when the disciples were officially saved, if you would. Uh, as John 20, when Jesus breathed and the Holy Spirit was then in them. But then he said, after that, now the Holy Spirit is in you, but you need to go into Jerusalem and wait for me there because then, the, then the, 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 so that, that's the Holy Spirit in. Um, but then in Acts 1, 8, then he says, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's the third relationship. So you got with, before you were saved, in, once you got saved, and then upon, what's the difference? Well, the Holy Spirit coming upon, it might ring back to the Old Testament stories when people did great feats of uh, power and, and miracles. Uh, when Samson did crazy stuff, it says the Holy Spirit came upon Samson and he you know, ripped the lion in half or ripped the gates off the city and carried him 35 miles up to the top of the mountain or whatever he did, tied foxtails together. Samson's a lot of Holy Spirit with him right up until he cut his hair. Then the Holy Spirit had left him and he did not know that the Holy Spirit had left him interestingly enough. So this coming upon is more of the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, chapter, uh, chapter one of Acts uh, verse eight says, but you shall receive power, Greek word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. You will receive power after the Holy, Holy Ghost has come upon you. So in, in you, once you get saved and upon you, when the Lord gives you power that's beyond yourself, to do whatever manifestation the Holy Spirit wants to do through you, whether that's to speak a word of encouragement or a word of prophecy, not foretelling, but speaking forth the word of the Lord, of edification, exhortation, and comfort, 1 Corinthians 14, or if it's praying for someone that has a cold and a miracle, the Lord will give a gift of healing to that person that is sick, and you, the Lord's power comes upon you as you're praying through that with somebody. That's the coming upon a relationship where the dunamis, the strength, power, ability comes upon you from the Lord. If you're a Christian, can I just remind you why we're on this topic? I hope you have all three. I hope the Holy Spirit is first with you um, and that you got saved at some point when the Spirit taps you on the shoulder and makes you know you need the Lord. And then I hope the Holy Spirit is in you when you accepted Christ and became a Christian. But I also hope you're open to the fresh filling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Um, you say, brother, you one of them charismatics, uh, Pentecostals? Uh, I always say, I'm, a, I'm a, a charismatic with a safety belt. Um, you don't see me flopping around in the aisle, praise the Lord for that. You don't see us slaying people in the Spirit here at Athey Creek, because you don't see that in the Bible, except for unbelieving people. They were always slayed in the Spirit. 
Um, but uh, we do see at Athey Creek all the things that the Spirit does that are mentioned in the Bible. And that is things like speaking in tongues, but you do that in order, decently, in the right timing, with the right emphasis. Uh, word of prophecy, uh, you know, uh, um, the, the, the gift, one of the giftings or manifestations is discerning of the spirits, how we need discernment, and the Holy Spirit can give you discernment. Um, don't be God's chosen frozen and chalk off um, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I hope you have all three relationships. The coming upon of the Holy Spirit is something that's really important. Um, and without that, we become very chosen frozen. That's not what we wanna be. So um, this idea of the Holy Spirit helps defines who the virgins are. In fact, even this verse, Romans 8 verse 9 tells us that some virgins had oil, Holy Spirit, and the other ones didn't, which to me sort of divides saved versus unsaved, if you would. Um, so who are these wise virgins? Well, they had oil in their lamps, uh, verse 4 tells us. And the five foolish virgins never really had oil. Um, what happened when they went to get oil? They, they, uh, they, they couldn't find it. They didn't have it. And so they came fashionably late um, to the party. But as the scripture tells us here, the door was closed and they couldn't get in. Does that ring a bell to another story in the Bible? Yes, yeah, somebody said it. Noah, which was referred to by Jesus just in the same message. He already talked about Noah as the days of Noah, uh, which is where the Lord shut the door of the ark and people couldn't get in. That's kind of an interesting uh, imagery that Jesus is employing here. The door is shut um, and verse 10 through 12 um, says, I know you not, I know you not. But they, even though they cry out, notice what they cry out in verse 11. Afterward coming, the other virgin saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Um, do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? He said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And when I will uh, then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Jesus' word here in Matthew 7, 21 through 23 sort of matches when they say, Lord, Lord, verse 11, but Jesus says, verse 12, depart from me, I never knew you. They did not have the Holy Spirit, thus they were not saved and the Lord doesn't know them. It reminds us, uh, and, and it's really gonna really speak to the Jews. I wonder if Matthew 24 and 25 if during the tribulation period, you and I will be in heaven safely tucked away, the marriage feast of the lamb in heaven with the Lord. But do you think Matthew 24 and 25 is gonna become important to the Jews during the great tribulation? I bet suddenly they're gonna be looking at these two pages or three pages, whatever it is of your Bible, and they're gonna make great study of this because it really will pertain to them uh, so exactingly where they need to be watching. They're having their lamps trimmed uh, and, and burning with oil, um, ready, to, ready to go. So the 10 virgins uh, looked the same on the outside, interestingly enough. They all had their lamps. They all woke up to the announcement. Uh, they even all had their uh, wicks trimmed. Uh, everything seemed the same. The only difference was some had oil and some had no oil. And, um, and I believe that's the difference of being saved versus unsaved, kind of interesting. So um, it, 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 now that raises an interesting question in the tribulation period. Um, doesn't it say all of Israel will be saved? Um, so who are these that have the untrimmed? Well, it could be uh, the rest of the, the population. 
We know that the Jews will have oil in their lamps because of Romans 11:25. 25. It says all of Israel will be saved. This is an interesting thought. And I've not heard a lot of people talk about this, but I'm just throwing it out for your consideration. Maybe the wise are going to be the Jews. Minimally, you'll hear a lot of commentaries talk about the 144,000, uh, which by the way, who are they? The Jehovah's Witness? No, that's ridiculous. Uh, sorry, that's totally wacko. Don't believe that. Why? The 144,000, who are they? Anybody? They're Jews, and we know that because the book of Revelation painstakingly articulates there's gonna be 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. Um, it's the Jewish people. So some people say the, the, the Jews that have their lamps trimmed and burned with oil are the 144,000. I, I get that argument, but I wonder if maybe it's the other people in the tribulation that do not. And then Jesus is gonna talk about um, what happens to, to those people that are not with the Jews. Uh, in the next breath, he's gonna talk about that. We'll, we'll see that. But uh, just don't forget, you know, what's the definition, Webster's definition of wise and fool? The wise person, I like these definitions, and this is who Jesus calls these people. One's wise, one, one's foolish. Wise, a person exercising or showing sound judgment, evidencing or hinting at the possession of an inside information. That's the, the, um, the virgins that have their lamps trimmed and burning. They wake up ready to roll with oil uh, in their lamps. The foolish person, a person lacking in judgment or uh, prudence, uh, a harmlessly deranged person, or one lacking in common powers of understanding. I, I, I think I know a few people like that, but I'm not gonna call them that. Um, don't be the fool, uh, whether you're a Jew in the tribulation or a person in the church age right now, don't be a fool. Um, we can learn, you and I can learn from the parable of the 10 virgins, whether it's about the Jews or about the church, either way, wouldn't you agree that we need the Holy Spirit? And wouldn't you agree that we should be watching and ready just like the Jews of the tribulation? Of course, we're just watching and ready for the rapture of the church, the, the time where the bridegroom comes and takes his bride. Um, so this is basically the parable of the 10 virgins. You might call it a parable of the personal salvation. Those who have the Holy Spirit keeping their wicks trimmed and their lamps filled with oil. Now, um, you might think, Brett, we've been talking about the last days of Jesus a lot in Matthew. You've been spending the last weeks talking about the end times. There is an interesting bit of uh, percentage here. In fact, Matthew takes 25% of the book, 25% uh, of his gospel uh, is used to talk about the last seven days of Christ's life on earth. Um, uh, the, the gospel of John takes 50% of his book to talk about the last seven days of Christ's life on earth. You say, well, Brett, what's the, what's the point there? Well, this, this, we're already in the last seven days of Jesus' life on earth, but, but we don't really talk much about it. We just hear Jesus's Olivet Discourse and his talk about the end times. And that's mostly what the gospel of Matthew deals with. We don't hear the details of the last seven days as much of Jesus's life on earth here in this gospel. Some of you might've even said, Brett, you haven't even hardly talked about that part of it. Um, that's because Matthew doesn't. Um, he's talking about uh, this Olivet Discourse and what the disciples had. And, and that's why we've been camping out on that so much. In, in contrast, when John takes 50% of his book to talk about the last seven days, we're gonna have great detail about uh, what happened in those seven days. Uh, but, um, and we'll cover more of these as we get to some of the other gospels as well. But here he goes on with these illustrations about the second coming. So illustration number one, faithful servant, evil servant. Um, Matthew uh, 24, the last part. 
The, the illustration number two is the parable of the 10 virgins. And illustration number three is the parable of the talents. And we covered that on Sunday, uh, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. We went over this this weekend. Um, uh, but the similar theme as the 10 virgins, if you, if you notice, the master, the groom was gone. Um, needed, you need to be ready for his return. And they didn't know when the master or the groom would come back. Both parables have some very similar, uh, similar uh, issues. Um, and the, another thing, to do wisely or be wise with whatever the Lord has given them um, in his absence. In, in, the, in the parable of the talents, they were given opportunity by given bags of money to invest. And whether they invested that used the opportunity for the purpose of furthering the kingdom, that was the wise, the diligent servant in the parable of the talents. Just like the virgins had their lamps trimmed and ready to go with oil in them. There's similar themes here. Jesus is, um, you know, they say repetition is the mother of all learning. Jesus is talking about things. The Jews would have said, oh yeah, we know what you're talking about there um, because of, of these images that we already know. So what are the talents? Anybody remember what's a talent uh, represent in the parable? Oppor opportunity, right? Uh, it wasn't just the money thing and, and, or your giftings or talents. So as some people say, it's the opportunity that God puts in front of you, whether you use your abilities to further those, those opportunities. That's kind of the deal. Um, the Lord is um, not harsh, uh, but loving um, uh, uh, to those that were just using those opportunities for his glory. Um, and and it, there's a big difference in these parables. Another thing I wanna uh, point out is um, this, I never knew you theme. Um, uh, we learned that the last guy in the parable of the talents, he sort of acted like he knew, well, I knew you because, you know, I was afraid because I knew you were a harsh, you know, hard man. And we learned that that guy really didn't know the, the master. He didn't know him to be a kind and loving master. So he sort of read into the story or whatever he heard from some other dudes and said, I know you're a hard man. And, but he didn't know him. He, he didn't have a personal relationship. The other servants or investors in the talents seemed to know the master and they were excited when they saw him come back. Big difference. Um, so the difference between knowing about God versus truly knowing God is what we see in these parables as well. Um, by the way, uh, the devil knows Jesus, wouldn't you agree? Um, but does he really know him in that biblical sense? The word know is a, f a clumsy word in the Bible, in the English translation, because um, it, the Bible uses, like the King James says, and Adam knew his wife Eve. What does that mean? Hello, Eve, nice to meet you. Is that, is that what was going to get the, became acquainted? No, that means they had romantic intimacy at that moment. Uh, so the word know uh, is an English word that can mean a lot of things. In, but if you look up in the original language of the Bible, the implication is to know um, with great intimacy, to know the Lord personally, to have a personal relationship with God. So we covered the, this. If you missed this, you can uh, you know, load up the teaching on our website or on YouTube channel, uh, the parable of the talents. Um, but that brings us to illustration number four, um, the judgment of the sheep and the goats, uh, which is, I'm gonna say, uh, an illustration uh, number four. So uh, Matthew 25, verse 31. It says, when the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, 
Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Okay, so verse 31 tells us something already that we should know. When will this happen? Anybody wanna take a stab? It says he's gonna come in all of his glory uh, with his holy angels with him and sit on the throne of his glory. When's that gonna happen? The second coming, at the end of the tribulation, at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Remember our timeline? This is the second coming. So this helps us. So the judgment of the sheep and goats we're about to read, at least we know when it's gonna happen. After the tribulation, right at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. We'll talk about more of this in a second. Uh, But go on to verse 32. And before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Hmm. Now, some people have taught this, well, you know, God's gonna separate the nations, Russia, the United States, China, Iran. But the word nations, you should make note of that. The word nation is the same word Jesus employed in the early part of his Olivet Discourse. Remember when he said, nation shall rise against nation? And does anybody remember the Greek word for that? Ethnos, Uh, it's where we get our word ethnicity. Um, So the idea is the Greek word means uh, a people group or nationalities or ethnicities. So it's not as much about, you know, the Russians and the Chinese and stuff like that. It's not the nations that way, but the nations of the Gentiles is the idea here. Um, In fact, we, uh, let me just give you a scripture for you linguistic people that wanna uh, do a deeper dive into this. Paul uses the same word ethnos when he talks in Acts chapter 11, verse one, um, when he says, and the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Now, if you remember that story in Acts 11, like they're talking about anything that's not a Jew is a Gentile. And the word Gentile there is that word right there is ethnos, uh, the same Greek word. So a lot of times in the New Testament Greek, the word ethnos speaks of the Gentile nations. Are you guys with me on that? So that's the idea is the Gentile nations are gonna be judged specifically um, at the end of the tribulation, the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Um, For some reason, there's a judgment here. So uh, we're starting to see a little bit about this. Um, Some people take this as dividing up the nations. I I believe this is the nations, the Gentiles, uh, the people. But it goes on in verse 32, um, he'll divide the sheep from the goats. Who are the sheep, who are the goats? Well, let's read on. Um, um, It says, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. So that should tell you politically which side you should be on. No, I'm just just kidding. There's other verses I could joke around about, but I'm not going to. Okay, so this is some kind of a judgment. Now, there are three main judgments in the Bible that you should remember. Um, Probably the biggest one, anybody wanna take a stab? What's the biggest one? Yeah, that's the one I would call the biggest one, the great white throne judgment. And I hope you, um, none of us are gonna be there uh, because the great white throne judgment is for all those who were, um, you know, unbelievers throughout all the ages. Um, and this is gonna happen, uh, in, you know, Revelation 20, verse 11 tells us it's gonna happen at the end of the millennial kingdom. At the end of the thousand years, all the dead will be, there's gonna be two resurrections, some to resurrection unto life and others in resurrection unto death. That's the language of the Bible. Daniel talks about that and Revelation 20 talks about that. But the resurrection unto life and unto death, what's the one to death? You're gonna be resurrected up to the great white throne where then if you know that, you're gonna be judged according to your works. 
uh, because you never were saved. You never accepted Jesus. You thought you could save, save yourself by your own good deeds, which will not save you. Um, that's the worst and perhaps the most scary of all the judgments. Um, um, but um, the biggest and the baddest is the great white throne judgment. Uh, and again, you can jot down those scriptures there. Um, uh, but the next one would be um, the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, or you might call it the Bema seat judgment. The, you, you'll hear it both used, the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. And that's spoken of in several places. Um, probably the main mentions there, 1 Corinthians 3.13, along with 2 Corinthians uh, 5 verse 10. Uh, and those, uh, now these are gonna be the judgments. That's the judgment that as Christians, we're gonna be there. The great white throne judgment, by the way, the, the first one there is where uh, three main groups are gonna be thrown, or four, I guess, um, into the lake of fire, which is Gehenna um, or hell. First, the beast, the false prophet, Satan himself, and then anyone else who rejected Jesus as the Messiah or didn't get saved by the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, that's who goes to hell in the Bible. Uh, the beast, the false prophet, Satan himself, and then anyone who rejected. And that's all there in Revelation 20, uh, by the way. The judgment seat of Christ is, I believe, going to happen um, once we're with the Lord, um, we're gonna be judged according to our works. Well, Brett, I thought our, we're, we're saved by grace. You're saved by grace but your good works that you do will be judged and it'll somehow have to do with your rewards in heaven. Um, have you ever been to an award ceremony after a you know, season of playing football, you line up in the commons of the high school and they'd give you awards, you know, defensive player of the year and, or whatever, or you know, maybe there's some kind of award ceremony you've been to. Of course, some of you millennials, you grew up, everybody got a trophy and everybody got a blue ribbon. So uh, that, that probably didn't happen as much anymore, but um, it actually used to mean something uh, in those days. But, but there's going to be those, uh, there's gonna be an award ceremony. But um, one of the things, the implication of the Bible, it says that you'll be judged. And if your awards, if you did things for pure motive, not to be seen of men, and if you did things that were not wood, hay, and stubble, um, but it was gold, silver, and precious stones, those are the things that are gonna withstand the trial by fire at the judgment seat of Christ. Um, and you'll be given rewards for that. I think that's gonna be the great leveling in eternity. Because, you know, we talked about this on Sunday. Billy Graham, you know, led millions of people to Christ, shared the gospel, and you're like, man, he's gonna have all these rewards. But in some ways, Billy, I've heard him even say this before he went on to be in heaven, that largely he received his reward because everybody knew Billy Graham, and he was famous. Um, and Billy would say, uh, I'm not the one who's gonna get the reward. And he, he would tell stories. The Billy Graham Association found out about a, a little old lady that was a, like, a, I think she was a librarian or a school teacher or some hardworking job um, where she saved every penny that she earned so that she could go to every city Billy Graham did a crusade in. She would rent a Motel 6. And she wouldn't even go to the crusade, but she'd be on her knees in the Motel 6 praying during the whole crusade. Um, while, and they, they found out about this lady um, like after she died. And she, that, that's, she lived to just pray at Billy Graham crusades. Um, but nobody knew about it until she passed. And it makes you wonder, and Billy would say, she's the one who's gonna get the rewards because nobody knew about it. When it goes through the trial of fire, um, you know, what's gonna last? Uh, I wonder about that. I always think, you know, there's old Pastor Brett standing at the great, or the, at the judgment seat of Christ, and, and I'm thinking, okay, let's try this sermon you gave uh, last Sunday. Here we go. It's all, half of it's gone. Uh, where, where'd that go, Lord? Well, that was um, a sermon that wasn't funny. Uh, you thought it was funny, and it wasn't. Oh, 
Let's try the rest of it. Oh, why'd that disappear? Well, that was another pastor that you stole that information from. Uh, or you got it from chat GPT. Uh, no, I, I have never done that, I've, except for the prophecy update for fun. Um, but <laughs> their, their sermons are being made from chat GPT now, it's sad to say. Um, or, you know, on, on, maybe you were doing that sermon to be seen of men or to get a pat on the back. People, oh, nice sermon. Like the, Jesus said, that, you have your reward. That's it right there, the pat on the back. Um, but I'm of the opinion that the people that are gonna get the real rewards are the two and a half and three-year-old teachers down in the church underground with the little kiddos teaching the kids. They're the ones who are gonna get great reward when they get to heaven. That, so, you know, every man's work will be tried, made manifest, uh, and it'll be revealed by fire. Uh, what sort it is, the Bible says. Um, we all must, it says, in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, we all must uh, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone will receive the things done in his body, according to that which he's done, whether it's good or bad, it'll be tried by fire. So that's the second judgment. But the third main judgment of the Bible is this judgment of the sheep and goats. I would, I would say this is the third big one. Um, and here it's in our text here. Um, the, the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Okay, so who are the characters in this illustration again? Well, we have Jesus, clearly, on the throne. And then we have the sheep and the goats, um, and it seems uh, that these sheep and goats are Gentiles individually, um, not, not nationally. We already said it, the nations are the Gentiles. So what are they being judged about? Um, well, um, and why is this judgment happening? Well, that's where we read on in verse 35. Um, he says, um, well, where, where'd we leave up? Uh, verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come and ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was in a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when, when saw we thee hungry and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? Now, before we have the answer from the king, um, this is really interesting stuff. Now, how many of you have heard these verses quoted about how we're supposed to you know, do this. Um, you know, we're supposed to love on those that are in prison and those that are sick and visit them because if you've done it the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Um, and you say, Brett, now that I'm reading this sort of in context, I'm kind of wondering, is that even really applied to us? Well, um, should we care for the sick and the imprisoned and the hungry? Yes. Why do we know that? Because other places in the Bible tells us to do that as well. So that, I don't want to diminish that. We should do that, of course. That's part of what Christians should do. Pure and undefiled religion, you know, caring for the, the, you know, the, the orphans and the widows and, like, you know, and, and feeding the poor and helping those that are sick are, are things that we're supposed to do. But when you read it in context, this is interesting that we're talking about after Jesus comes again and he's judging the Gentiles and he's talking to them. And then when he says, um, when you treated those people that were in prison or you know, suffering or hungry, you were doing that unto me. And they're like, well, when did we do it unto you? These Gentiles don't even know. That's a curious little gap in their understanding. Shouldn't they have known who they were doing it to uh, when they were doing it? Well, they didn't. But when you see the context of this, you realize that Jesus is talking about the way they treated 
the Jews during the tribulation period. Check it out, let's keep reading verse 40. And the king's answers, when they said, you know, when did we feed you? Or when did we do this to you? And Jesus, the king answered and said to them, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now we've read this like, um, as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren. Is that who he's saying? No, he's saying, as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren. Who, who's the brethren of Jesus? They're the Jews. That's what he's saying there, and that's, that's, we've missed that sometimes. As you've done it to the least of these, my, the, during the tribulation, the Jews will be attacked by Antichrist. We just learned that in the previous chapter, Matthew 24. They're gonna run for their lives, Petra, make war against the Jews, but there's going to be Gentiles who will have helped them during their most brutal time. And um, Jesus says, have you done the least of these, my brethren? Um, interesting, the word brethren there is the Greek word, um, Adephos, which means literal brother, having the same national ancestor, any fellow of man of, of, of the same ancestry. Um, so the expression, these brothers, must refer to a third group that is neither sheep nor goats. Would you agree? That's who Jesus is referring to. And the only possible, in the context of this chapter and the parables of these, my brethren, are the brothers of the Lord Jesus, literally the Jews. Um, in view of the distress of the tribulation period of the Antichrist making war against the, the Jews. Um, any you know, uh, believing Jew during that time, remember all of Israel's gonna be saved during that time? And the Jews are gonna be hunted. And it's during that time, anybody who's, uh, it'll be difficult for those Jews to survive. Um, Cross-reference Matthew 24, verses 15 through 21, that Jesus just told us about. Um, the forces of the world dictator, Antichrist, will be doing everything possible to exterminate all Jews. Um, you can cross-reference Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, where the Antichrist is gonna really try to kill the Jews. But a Gentile, now think about this, this is, you have to do some reasoning. A Gentile going out of his way to assist a Jew during the tribulation period, will that be dangerous for a Gentile in those days? Um, you know, you might go back in history to times where Jews were helped by Gentiles. Corrie Ten Boom, The Hiding Place, the old movie um, uh, where Corrie Ten Boom and her, and her family hid Jews during the Nazis' invasion. Um, or you might even think of like Schindler, you know, who, um, you know, helped Jews get out of certain peril. Um, and several hundred Jews, he was able to, you know, sort of smuggle out of certain death. Um, those were Gentiles that were kind to the Jews. Um, so you say, Brett, are you suggesting that if you're a Gentile and you just help the Jew, you're gonna be saved and go to heaven? Well, I wouldn't say that because you're not saved by your works. Would you agree with that? Bible's clear on that one, by the way. But by such a stand, for a Gentile to stand in action, um, a believing gen Gentile putting his life in jeopardy, um, his works will not save him, but I believe his works in trying, to, in those days, I think his works trying to help Jews will sort of reveal that maybe he's one of what we call the tribulation saints, the ones who would help the Jews. The only ones who will help the Jews are probably the ones who actually believe in Jesus. Those are people that don't know the Lord right now. The rapture of the church happens and there's gonna be millions of people during the tribulation period who will accept Christ. I believe it'll be those people 
during the tribulation period. We've been raptured already, but there will be Gentile believers on the earth in the tribulation who will not take the mark of the beast and they will be saved. And one of the things they will seek to do is to help the Jews during their time of peril. And the Lord says, I'm gonna do a special judgment at the, at the end of the tribulation, at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, where I'm gonna separate all those out who were uh, uh, the saved or unsaved. Does that make sense? Um, that's, that's, uh, there's other interpretations of that, but I'd say that's one of the more common ones, if you ask me. And I believe that one as it lines up with the rest of the, the, rest of the chapter. Um, so there will be those in tribulation that will help, uh, and they're gonna be the sheep uh, of the Gentiles. The goats are gonna be uh, um, separated uh, out. By the way, one of the things we should think about is all throughout history, whether people help Jews or hate Jews, God notices and he's rewarding. In the church age, I believe, you know, Genesis chapter 12, what is it, verse three, it says the nations that will bless Israel will be blessed and the nations that curse Israel will be cursed. I believe we've seen that like clockwork. Um, when the nations bless Israel, like the United States, for example, when we bless Israel, we're blessed. Um, you and I should be holding onto our hats. The, my little miniature prophecy update in my truck today was that. Um, we just, the United Nations Security Council just made another one of their ridiculous resolutions and declarations against the Jews. They, they do this all the time. The only difference is the United States, for the most part, the last three uh, administrations, we have said, yeah, we're not into those resolutions. And we think that you show a great bias against the Jews. And we've stood with the Jews as a friend at the UN, largely. But just on Monday, we did a big different ch change. We changed our policy and, uh, and the Jews are, are upset. Um, you know, it was Netanyahu who said, you know, the United States is, you know, he's furious by the way, and the Jews are furious because we let this resolution, normally we would have vetoed, we, had a, we have a veto power in the UN, the United nothing we, we have, um, but we didn't use that. And we just stood by letting them say horrible things. Meanwhile, um, you know, it's all pro-Palestinians, separate, don't let the Jews build their settlements. You know, they can't build what they want to in their nation. And, um, and, and the UN totally ignores the 10 people that were brutally murdered, children, even the last few weeks. In the month of February has been very uh, bloody in Israel, uh, terrorism. 10 people have died because of terrorist attacks, several of them little children by you know, Palestinians who are running their cars through crowds of people. This is the, this is the way the Hamas, the Hezbollah, um, the supporters of that are rolling. And, and so the United States, we stood with the Palestinians uh, while they've been killing children and stuff over there. Like, would we really do that here if, if it was happening in the United States? Well, who knows now, today, with our current uh, leadership, it's, it's uh, shocking what's happening in our country. Um, but I just wanna say that, that this idea of being supporting of the Jews is something God notices throughout all of history. Uh, from the time of Abraham to the very end, how did the people treat the Jews? God takes notice and he says, I will bless the, the people that bless Israel and I will, um, I will curse the nations that curse Israel. The psalmist said, uh, I was glad when they said, let us go in the house, Lord, um, and, you know, in Jerusalem, the temple. And he says, for they shall prosper that love thee. Um, isn't it interesting, our previous administration, love him or hate him, he was really nice to the Jews. 
Um, the Jews loved Donald Trump because of his declarations of the capital being Jerusalem. He told the Jews that the, we believe as Americans, the Golan Heights belongs to the Jews. He did a bunch of things and the Jews were calling out his name, putting street names. They named a Trump train after that in Jerusalem. You can ride the Trump train. They loved Donald Trump because he was friendly to the Jews. Um, but Joseph Biden, we knew that he was gonna go back into the, the office with the same general view of Obama, which was back to the 67 borders, chop Jerusalem in half. The same thing Zechariah tells people in the world, of, uh, it's a cup of trembling, trying to handle Jerusalem. And in the last days, they will seek to divide Jerusalem in half and they're handling a cup of poison. Um, <clears throat> that's, so Biden, has he done that? He's been worse. This, this administration has been worse than the Obama administration. And that's why the Jews are furious. If you go on Jerusalem Post in the last couple of days, you'll see what I mean. Um, <clears throat> but I find that interesting. So um, all that to say, this sheep and the goats is gonna be how did the Gentiles during the tribulation treat the Jewish people? And they're gonna be separated out. Um, so there's various tiers of understanding. Level one, we can all go away. Be ready, keep your lamps trimmed and burning with oil. Use the talents that God puts the opportunities for his kingdom and be nice to those in need. Like that would be the tier one of understanding of this parable section. Level two, the deeper nuance lies in eschatology. Uh, it points to the days we live in now, but also how uh, the tribulation is gonna shake out in Matthew 24 and even how to, the Jews are gonna be treated uh, during the, uh, the uh, tribulation and then into the kingdom. And this then finishes the Olivet Discourse um, right here. Um, and one of the things um, uh, he finishes, let me just kind of finish up this chapter. Where do we leave off? Uh, verse 41, yes. Yeah, um, so we know where those goats go. Verse 41, then shall uh, he say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Interesting that the everlasting fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's why it was prepared. Well, if God is love, why would he make hell? Well, we know why. It was made for the devil and his angels. And if you really wanna go with them there, you can, but that's not why it was prepared. That, that's an interesting nuance we learned there, uh, interestingly enough. Verse 42, for I was hungry and you gave me no meat. Speaking to the goats here. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you took me not in. Naked and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, you visited me not. <clears throat> then shall they say also, answer him saying, Lord, when, when saw we the hungered and a thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto you? Then shall he answer them saying, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not unto one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And there shall, uh, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. If this is being spoken to you and me, as some people teach it only that way, this implies that you're saved by being nice to people. You go to hell if you don't care for the blind and you know, give food to the poor, but does that line up with the rest of scripture? Not at all. I'm not arguing, again, I have to say this because some people miss these things. I'm not arguing that we shouldn't care for the poor and feed the hungry and care for the sick and the naked and blind and imprisoned. Uh, we need to minister to them. Other scriptures make that clear. But in the context of this, um, this is the tribulation period and how the Gentiles treated the Jews. But if you're treating the Jews like 
good in the tribulation period, that's gonna be separating you out. You're gonna be one called, if you're treating them good, you're the sheep and you're a Christian already. You're probably following Jesus at that point. But if you're a person who's with the Antichrist saying, yeah, kill all the Jews, uh, you've already sided. You've probably already taken the mark of the beast. It's already decided in the tribulation period, you're going down. And those are the Gentiles that are gonna be put out in everlasting fire. So we need to rightly divide the word, make sure that uh, we don't take some view that actually starts to make the Bible sort of uh, contradict itself. If, if, we, if we take a position that makes the Bible contradict, then we're in the wrong view. We gotta fix it. Remember how I talk about uh, it's the pre-trib, pre-millennial through the Bible teacher churches that have the pre-mill, pre-trib view. It's because of things like this. If you hold other views, suddenly you have really tricky doctrinal issues where you have to try to explain why do the people that are being nice going to heaven and the people that are being mean going to hell? Are you saved by your works? And it, it causes more questions than it does answers. That's why the, the pastors will go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You have to have a doctrine and teaching that fits with the whole Bible. Otherwise, it, it makes it really difficult. Um, so be careful with that. Uh, I love being able to say, let's make sure the Bible fits the narrative all together. If, as soon as it contradicts, we, we're the ones who are off and we need to refocus. So may the Lord give us ears to hear. Chapter 26 begins a whole new section, the Passover, the Last Supper, the trial of Jesus, Gethsemane. And we're gonna start talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So uh, hang on to your hats. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We're thankful for this time we can study tonight. And I pray your blessing on uh, everyone as they go home in the snowy evening. I pray that we'd find ourselves just enjoying the beauty of creation tonight as we drive home. And, and Lord, just bless everybody as we go. Um, Lord, may we think on your word and may it just continue to be meditated in our hearts, chewed over uh, as we've taken this time tonight and bring forth good fruit in Jesus' name, amen.